the ways that God uses or allows our faith to be tested, boy, it's tough. It comes through persecution. The scripture teaches all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It comes in many different packages that persecution does. Sometimes it comes through government influence and oppressive hands of government. Sometimes it comes through employers. Sometimes it's even in relationships in our homes. Relationships that sometimes even can happen in our communities or difficulties even in church just every time you have a relationship. Well, today we're going to dive into another one of those areas that's faith under fire that deals with the word submission. Now, we've already studied the word submission on two other occasions. We looked at submitting ourselves unto the government, unto the authorities, unto the law. We've already studied about submitting ourselves unto uh, our employers, those that are our masters. But today the, the subject is in regards to at home. When we get into the aspect of family, boy, this is a controversial, hot subject. And uh, because you mentioned the word submit, when it comes to wives or submission in a home, you get about clear of the room. But my prayer is today is to not jump into the semantics of whether your home is a complementarianism or complementary relationship or egalitarian, which is all the terms being tossed around today, and everyone trying to build their biblical claim to support whatever definition of marriage you believe to be right. Instead, let's just go to the Bible. What does God's Word say? And, and understand maybe how to flesh this out on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. This whole book study has been about our faith under fire, so let's continue today. 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 1, it says, wives likewise. The likewise is building a bridge off of where we've already been. And that is the submitting to government, submitting to the masters or your employers. Now, wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, Thematically, each one of these submissions has had the same purpose. If you'll remember back when we looked at submission unto the governing authorities, the purpose was to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When we looked at obeying your masters and submitting unto your masters, it was of the same purpose, that the will of God would be accomplished in our lives, that the word of God would be proclaimed, and at the end of the day, what's God's objective? That lost people would become saved people because saved people live Christ wherever they are in whatever, they, whatever circumstance they find themselves in. In this particular occasion, Peter is writing specific to wives now married to disobedient husbands. The term disobedient, we can look back and see in the previous chapter that the word disobedient is connected to those who are not Christ followers. And so this is a really tough spot. I mean, this is early Christianity coming on here, and so people are um, have been scattered because of persecution. And so you can imagine the complexity for a woman who has now become a Christ follower, but maybe her husband is not. Well, what do we do? And that's who Peter is describing here in, in this situation. But there's so much to learn from these texts that it's not just a wife that's married to an unsaved man, though we can learn much for here. But we can also learn this in all manner of relationships because I think it's wise for us to consider everywhere in Scripture that is describing wives in submission to their husbands. And what does that even really mean? 
Because it's obviously been something that has been abused and misused throughout history, which has bring, brought it to the place of being such a hot and uncomfortable subject. If you think back to the reason why, it's really not that complicated, because in the garden everything was right until sin entered into the world. The husband-wife relationship looked great until sin entered into the equation. Part of the curse that came with sin was the fact that the husband is going to rule over his wife. And that's not going to feel very good. And part of the struggle for the woman is wanting to now usurp that and rule over her husband. And so there's going to be a conflict and there's just naturally a lot of headbutting that goes on. Well, you take 6,000 years of human history with all of the abuses of relationship of people lording things and bucking against and rowing on all the different complexities of relationship. And now you end up with a spot where Man, there's a lot of wounds, there's a lot of sorrows, and I'm, I'm never going to let that happen to me. And I, I don't believe we should have to let this happen to us, kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, we start building cases based on sinful behavior. Well, it's, we need to be careful here. To, let's go to the Bible and observe, what is God's ideal? As Christ followers, what are we doing? Lord, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, what do we do as Christ followers? We live the heavenly life right here in the midst of, of earth. We represent, we are the ambassadors of Christ, and therefore we represent Christ's kingdom in the manner in which we do life, in the way we are in our marriage relationships even, represent the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord. And so this term likewise brings this connection. Now the word submissive, woo, this is where it all goes bad. Be submissive to your own husbands, I think it's important to note that it's not submissive just to everyone, but wives to your own husband. Because I've seen the abuses of this take place too, that any time a woman is present and there's men in the room, well then she has to defer to everybody in the room no matter what. Time out. That's not what the Bible says. Submit to your own husband. Ephesians chapter 5 teaches this, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Colossians 3.18 says the same. Wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting in the Lord, meaning ordered by the Lord. It's according to the word of God. So God's established an order to relationship and according to his word. What does this even need to look like? Well, let's define what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like a doormat where someone is just being tread upon. It doesn't look like someone whose identity is being crushed where your gifts, talents, and abilities as a woman are completely suppressed in the scope of a man. That would be a contradiction. It certainly doesn't mean, well, a woman just needs to take it. Her husband's being disobedient, being a bad man, she just needs to stand in there and take it. Guys, I have counseled off of this matter so many times, sadly, for women who have received what I would perceive as very poor counsel who have been the whipping post for some man but have been told by some Christian leader that it's part of your Christian duty as a woman. You just stand in there and take it. It's a contradiction to the law of God that a woman would stand in there and just take it of being abused physically, emotionally, sexually. No! The law itself, the law of Moses even spoke into that repeatedly that that would not be the case. It's a contradiction. I remember a moment I had when pastoring in Florida 
and a lady came. And she, I asked her if she would be willing to bring her husband, and she did. And I was aware of the circumstance in the home, and I had already counseled her to separate from him. You're like, what? As a preacher, you do that? Yep. He's an abuser. He was dangerous. He was an addict. And so he comes in, and we start talking for a few minutes, and, and he said, uh, he got pretty frustrated with me, as you might imagine, but he said, I thought you preacher guys are, telling, are, are supposed to teach the women to submit. That's their role. And I said, yeah, as it is fit in the Lord, and you are not fit in the Lord. You are an abuser. Now, when you're sober, you may be the nicest guy in the world, but right now, when you're not sober, you're like an animal. And you're unfit to live with. You want to be a husband to this woman. You need to get yourself cleaned up and we need to get some things figured out in your life with your substance abuses. But we're not going to do this. Well, by this point, this guy was so frustrated. My boys know this story because it was like one of the most terrifying moments in my pastorate. But I was sitting across the table from him and he's like, his knuckles are turning just white because he's so angry with me. And he said, if you weren't a man of the cloth, I'd come over that table and I'd kill you. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm a man of the cloth. I'm not even sure what that means, but I'm sure glad I'm a man of the cloth. <laughs> and so pretty soon he dismissed out. And I'd love to tell you that story ended really great. Those two separated and he chose to love his drugs more than he ever loved her. And she tried to win him. Guys, there's no space for this. So ladies, if you're, whether you're in this room or you're hearing this online, if you're in an abusive relationship, that is a contradiction to Scripture. And the Word doesn't tell you to stand in there and take it. That would be an op, a, a contradiction to what the Bible actually says. What's Peter's intended message? Speaking to a woman who's married to a lost man, and she's trying to win him. In Genesis chapter 2, we get the, the design behind God's intent. Relationship comes together. Obviously, man was alone. It wasn't good for man to be alone. So then what happens? God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. Well, we hear that term helper. And ladies, I understand that sounds so demeaning or insignificant. Well, he's got the big job and I'm just the trusty sidekick. Well, now wait a minute until you see the word helper play out in Scripture and how careful God was to identify this word helper in the same way as himself. In Psalm chapter 30, 33, verse 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. The same word help attributed to the woman. Again, in, in Psalm 121, there's many. I'm just giving you a couple of them. But my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Guys, it's not a demeaning role. It's not just this trusty little sidekick while he does everything important and my role doesn't matter and what I do doesn't matter. No! God has seen fit to bring the two of you together, united as one. One flesh, one body. And you help each other. But it's, you are defined in this role as a helper. The same that God calls for himself. Things get modeled, and that's why this all gets kind of confusing, because we're trying to understand, well, is there a hierarchical strategy? Because 
the egalitarian concept would mean is all are equal in any hierarchy structure that is built on gender is illegitimate. Which would mean then that in a husband-wife or a family relationship, there's no, no role one above the other. Okay? That everybody's the same. Why well, I see that, but then I don't see that because of the struggle here of the way it works even with Jesus. When Jesus came to this planet, he said in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and my Father are one. So we see the unity. Same. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I see the unity. But in John chapter 6, and he said this repeatedly, but he said in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There's a role of submission. We watched what Jesus did whenever we are instructed in Philippians 2 that let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, why is it not robbery to be equal with God if you're Jesus? Well, he's God, that's why. So he and, Christ, he and God are one. But then what did he do? He made himself as a servant, was made in the likeness of men, took upon himself the form of a servant and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And there was a, he submitted himself unto this. And so there's a, a oneness but then there's a submission. Well, is one greater than the other? No. Well, Ephesians 5.21, going back to there again, Paul speaks into this and says, submitting yourselves, in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's a mutual submission that takes place in a relationship. Now, he goes on to explain it. In Ephesians 5.24, he says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that becomes the instruction. See, the struggle is, is when sin enters into the equation and it's hard to submit unto someone that's in sin. If there's this heavy-handed and tyranny and dictatorship and all that, that type of feel about it, well, that's very repulsive. Well, it is, because it's contradiction to the word of God. That is not what Christ did with the church when husbands love their wives as Christ does the church. That's not this hand heavy hand and smack down type of an attitude and do it my way or the highway and you need to do this for me. No. Instead, what do we watch Jesus do? Well, he's the one who takes off his robe and washes the feet of his disciples and he didn't come to be ministered to but came to minister and give his life a ransom for many. And he takes upon this role of a servant. And he loves, and he loves unconditionally. And, and he's always with us, no matter what takes place. And his, we are protected and in his hand. And Well, that's what love looks like. And so the reciprocation of that love, the church reciprocates that love for Christ in a subjection role. We subject ourselves to that, and we do it gladly. As the church, as male or female, we gladly submit ourselves, I think, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless it feels like he's leading us to do something we don't want to do, right? But we, as a general rule, we would say, well, yeah, I, I can submit to Jesus because he's perfect. He does it right. But no man, no woman, no one else does it perfect, so I'm not going to submit to them. Well, this is why my faith is under fire and is always being tested. My government's not always right. My employer may not always be right. They may not always be fair and just. Relationships, they're not always right. They're not always fair. They're not always just. They're not always kind. They're not always good. That's why my faith is always being tested. 
for the manner in which my heart will yield in these manners to continue to serve, to continue to love, and be kind, and be Christ in this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was explaining some of the, 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 or, the order of things, and he said this, he said, I, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So you see a relationship, a subjective relationship. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So, well, is it all about the pecking order? No, that's not the point. Matter of fact, the, the arrogance of it would come out to kind of make a case about, well, it's all about the pecking order. No, because in 1 Corinthians eleven eleven he goes on in this same discussion to say, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. That's not possible. Why? Because for as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. So no one's going to be able to say, well, I don't need her. I don't need a woman in my life. Well, maybe you're gifted with singleness and you can say that. But if you're a married man, and you say, well, I don't need a woman. Well, dude, you were born of a woman. So that's stupid. Okay? So this is describing here, for as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. God's the one who's doing all this. If you think about just the, the term husband, a husbandman is a gardener or a vine dresser, meaning he plants a vineyard. And you, any of us that have ever gone into a place where you see a, a beautiful flower garden and you walk in, wow. And it's kind of just breathtaking, beautiful. Well, the flower, is, it, it is beauty. Why? Because there's a husband that cares about that garden, that's why. He waters it, plants it, he tends to it. He nurtures it carefully. What's the result? It's beautiful. Likewise, someone who doesn't take care of their garden, and they just tread on it, don't take care of it, they don't water it. And you would say, well, that, that gardener's not very good. I mean, that, that land's all beaten down. Yep, that land is a reflection of his And so the two in relationship become one. And this relationship now reflects what God's intent was, the husbandman loving as Christ gave himself for the church and the woman in response to that. Unto what? In the text we're studying? To win this lost one. Let's go back to verse 1 again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Well, how do you win them? Without the word. The whole point is, without word, that's how you're going to do this, is it's not going to be nagging, it's not going to be uh, constantly preaching at him and blaring a podcast in his ears that he has to listen to all the time. I've had a lady one time, or actually as a man, but the lady ended up coming to me as well. But this guy come to me one time, he said, Dwayne, 
I can't stand you. I'm like, well, thanks. And uh, he wasn't a saved man. And the reason he didn't like me is because his wife had me blaring in the background in their home all the time. He grew to hate my guts. I didn't even know the guy. But I can understand. Why do you have to sit and keep listening to this? And there were certain messages that just keep playing over and over and over. Probably the husbands love your wives kind of stuff. And just keep playing over and over and over. Maybe you'll catch it. But no, it, it was nagging. And it felt nagging. Well, this text teaches me, how, how do you win someone who's lost? Well, we could learn this in any environment. Is Sometimes it's without the word. Now, do we have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, but it's your conduct that gives platform for that gospel. I love telling the stories, and I won't today just because I'll have to attach names for them to make sense. But I love the stories where Amy and I have been with ladies who loved their husbands. They came to Christ later. The, the lady came to Christ later after they were already married. And she began to win her husband by her conduct. Beautiful stories. Hard, faith under fire, difficult to do. They didn't agree on how to raise their children anymore. They didn't agree on what to invest their money in. They didn't agree on a lot of things because she is now a child of light going in one direction and he was going another, but she loved him. And she was going to win him to Christ through her conduct and it wasn't going to be preaching at him all the time. And slowly you get to see him start to, his heart begin to shift. And he's like, I don't know what's happened to my wife, but this isn't the woman I married. And he comes to check it out to find out what's really going on here. And they come to know Christ. Those are beautiful stories. And I have those in our lives that are really wonderful. But sometimes they don't always turn out so perfect. Paul speaks into this as well. Let me give an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Speaking into the husband-wife relationship, verse 3, it says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, likewise also the wife to her husband. This is speaking into the sexual intimacy of a marriage relationship. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Well, you could see a subjection going both directions here. But now you've got a complication. Let's look at verse 13. And, the wom and a woman who has a husband who does not believe. Now, this is the same story we're dealing with in 1 Peter. If he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. That, she doesn't need to do that. Because here was the concern, and here's what was happening in the churches in Corinth, was, well, she's become a Christian now. She's light, he's dark. They need to separate and get away from each other. Now, time out. Paul did make the statement and gives fair warning. Hey, if you are not married yet as a Christ follower, don't marry someone who's not a Christ follower. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't try to put two things together that don't go together. Light and dark are going to clash. That's not going to work. Long term, you're going to struggle here. It'll be a contradiction to the word. But if someone becomes a Christ follower, and the woman in this case has become a saved woman, her husband's not, well, she doesn't need to automatically divorce him because, well, we're not going in the same direction. No, they can. that's not necessary. However, verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. And a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. It is certainly possible, I've witnessed this, where the unbelieving says, I, this isn't the life I want. And if the conflict was too great, you're going one way and I'm going in another, 
and the unbeliever departed from this relationship, God called us to come. So did God give authority here and permission then for divorce? God hates divorce. What did he call us to? Peace. He wants the two to live together. He, the instruction here is for her to win him. But maybe he won't be won. And he's the unbelieving who chooses to depart. No brother or sister is not in bondage. So how do you win? The question really becomes then, in this environment, in this situation, well, how do you win? 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Let's go back there again. The last half of the verse says, They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. It's without words, but it's with conduct. Go on to verse 3. Do not let your adornment, meaning the, all the exterior, be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. That's all fine and dandy, but don't let that be your only adorning. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. This is the, this is the true character, the beauty of the woman that comes from the inside. It's not the exterior shell because, like all of us, I mean, they eventually wear down. And we don't look the same. We can kind of keep repainting it and reorganizing all we want, but the fact is our bodies wear out. Now, this is the beauty of the inside. This is the character of Christ coming out, the fruit of the Spirit being emanated from this individual coming out. And it's the beauty of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 31, ladies, this is a great one. I, I enjoyed studying that again this week, and here's why. I watch a woman who flourishes in her gifts, talents, and abilities, though she has, her husband sits in the gate. Her husband is sitting in a position of authority in the city. The heart of her husband safely trusted in her. He's praised in the gate because of her. Because of, of who she is. And this is a woman now that, man, she goes out and she buys a field. So she's working real estate. She's over here planting things. She's harvesting things. She's making things. She's taking care of business. She's taking care of their home and all of the entity that goes with it. She's got a lot going on. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband calls her blessed. But here's the beauty of this woman. Man, she's not stifled. You don't read that book or that chapter in your Bible and see a woman stifled, oppressed, and tread down by her husband. No, the exact opposite. And God calls that, that's the virtuous woman. This is the one, man, there, here's your example, this one, uh, the one in a million. But here's what's beautiful about it. Proverbs 31, 30 says that charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. That's the beauty of her love for the Lord. That's what comes out. Peter finishes this section here to the, to the wives. And he says this in verse 5 and 6. He says, for in this manner, in former times the holy women who trusted in God, that's a key phrase right there, Women who trusted God also adorned themselves with what? Not all the outward, it was that inward man of the heart, being submissive to their own husbands. Yeah, that's old school. No, wait. He brings all the way from Genesis a story into the modern context of first century Christianity and says, no, here it still applies. 
as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you later's like, what? Nuh-uh. Whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, I don't know if Sarah always called him Lord. Amy does not call me that. Sarah may have called him Abraham, Abe, sweetheart, honey, hookie bear. I don't know. I have no idea. I know this much. When I go back to the spot where this text is derived from, Genesis 18, let's watch what happens. Genesis 18, verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Oh, I got to tell you what's happening. The Lord has come to Abraham to let him know he's going to be a father. And he's going to be a father of many nations. The dude's old. His wife's old. They're way past having kids. Well, they, they being the Lord has shown up with the cohort here. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. So it would be apparent he's standing in front of the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door behind him. So she's not, you don't see her. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Now, this is, you mean the whole thing that Peter's describing is taken from here? Yep. And here's what's interesting. This wasn't what she was saying to Peter. She said this within herself. Referring to her husband in this manner of master or leader, husband, but it's a term of reverence that came with this, but that's what was brewing in her heart when she said this within herself. That's the point that Peter is making. It wasn't the outward adorning. It what was, it's what was going on in her that holy women of old followed after her with this reverence and a respect and a love for their husband. And he said, yeah, that's the beauty of the heart. Interesting, now you come all the way to your New Testament and discover the same thing that husbands are to love their wives, and wives then are in, in re return of that, love or respect their husbands. Next week, we'll get into the issues directly pointed to the men and to the husbands, have very specific instruction as well. But here's the whole point of what I wanted to share with you this morning from this text. Our faith is always under fire. Wives in this room, your faith is always being tested in regards to your husband. I realize most of you in this room are married to a saved man. He's growing in his faith. He's not perfect. He, gets, he makes mistakes. He does all that, but he's a saved man pursuing Jesus. But the point of the scriptures teaches this, that the two of you are one. The husbands are instructed to love their wives like Christ. Love them. Wives are instructed then to love and submit unto their husbands. As soon as I say that word submit, I don't like how that sounds. But when we see that in light of what the scripture teaches of two being one and this reciprocal loving relationship that 
takes place. It doesn't sound like someone's over the top, ruling over us, pushing down, stifling, and all that. No, it just doesn't. It doesn't appear that way in the Bible. Instead, it's this beautiful image of love, the way God intends, where Christ is revealed and the grace, and love, and mercy of Jesus is being played out every single day in husband and wife relationships, and it's the gospel. Ladies, if you're married to a man who's not saved yet, 1 Peter says you'll win him. Pursue to win him. Not with words, but without the word. As we conclude, the question we all have to answer is are you subject unto Christ? Have you come to the spot in your life, and this is male or female, old or young, doesn't matter. Have you come to the spot in your life where you have made yourself subject to Christ because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you knew him? By believing on him as the Lord. And you know what that means? You're calling upon him, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my God. He's my King. He's my husband. He's my Savior. And I submit my unto him he's the lord of my life have you come to that spot in your life you yielded if so then we reveal that submission to christ in the way that we submit unto one another and demonstrate love our love for the lord is demonstrated in our love in our relationships i invite you to bow your head with me for a moment let's contemplate these scripture texts today at the same time, to contemplate our relationship with the Lord. Maybe this is the day in your life you've come to and God's brought you to this spot, revealed in your heart that you need a Savior. You can't save yourself. You're apart from God because of sin, and Jesus came to save you. And This is the day. Lord, call upon the name of the Lord. Scripture teaches that when we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, that He died, buried, and rose again because of what we believe in our heart. Scripture teaches that we are saved. And maybe this is the day for you. I pray so. If you're a Christ follower in this room today, this is a good reminder of the submission that we need to have, the love that we have for one another husbands of how to take this into a home again and be reminded and wives likewise modeling for our own kids what the gospel looks like every single day